Welcome to the Attracting Lasting Love podcast presented by CoachingWithRoy.com. You've found the place where single adults come for mindful wisdom and insight into how to attract and create healthy, lasting, conscious relationships. And now, here's your host, the owner of CoachingWithRoy.com, number one best-selling author, certified relationship coach, and TV analyst, Roy Biancalana. Well, hello there, and welcome to another edition of the Attracting Lasting Love podcast. My name is Roy Biancalana, and I am your host, and today we are doing part seven. We are finishing up a seven-part series on something I have titled Quantum Quotes. Pithy wisdom for life and love, right? I have just arranged seven of the most powerful yet short and sweet quotes from some of the the best mystics and masters and gurus in the world. And the whole idea has been if we integrate our these these quotes into our lives, if we live by their wisdom, if we align our lives with them, we will experience a quantum leap in the way we live our lives and in our love lives. And so let's just jump in to quote number seven. And let me tell you a little bit about the person that wrote this quote. I can tell you that they're an amazing person, an amazing guy, um, extremely handsome, a great husband, and yet very, very humble. No. (laughs) Okay. This quote comes from me. Yes, I am going to quote myself in this series of podcasts. (laughs) But, you know, hey, it's my podcast. I can put myself in it if I want to, okay? (laughs) So don't give me a hard time. But I do want to state the obvious. I hope it's obvious that I do not think of myself in any way, shape, or form on the level of some of these other gurus and mystics we've been quoting, like, I'm no Eckhart Tolle, I'm no Michael Singer or Jeff Foster, I'm no Zen master. Um, My book should not even be mentioned in the same breath as the Tao Te Ching, okay? So I don't equate myself with these other guys, but the quote, I think, can be in the mix with what they've said. I think the quote is pithy enough and powerful enough and true enough to be on the list here. Okay, so um, I want to I want to bring it to you, but I think the first thing I want to do because I was thinking about this, um, I know that that over the life of this podcast, I've shared many times about you know the idea that I was divorced and then I was dumped by a fiance and then I went online and had all kinds of drama and difficulty there. So I've shared that my love life used to be an absolute mess. And and I've shared that at some point I kind of wised up and hired someone to help me. I hired a relationship coach to work with me to help me figure out what the hell I was doing and why my love life was so awful. And I've shared that that made all the difference in the world. Right, I, I, I sometimes say I once was lost, but now I'm found. I'm blind, but now I see. There was a sense with my love life, and in fact, my first book is written this way, that um, it, my love life is a lot like one of those weight loss commercials. You know, they show a person who's kind of really big and out of shape, 
you know, before they do the weight loss program and then they show a picture of them after and they're all shredded and ripped and everything. And they say, if you do this program, you can go from that to that. Well, that's kind of how my love life has been. The beforehand picture uh, is me in all of my drama and all of my pain and misery and being divorced and dumped. And so in my first book, I have a prologue in the book. And the prologue is a true story of me, you know, really being a mess. And then at the end of the book, there's an epilogue of me on my honeymoon with my new wife. And so the book tells you how I got from the prologue to the epilogue, okay? How I went from the the before and after. But the thing I've never really told you about, I don't think I've ever spelled this out in concrete terms. I've never told you what was the central discovery that I made that turned the trajectory of my love life around 180 degrees. I don't know if I've ever really shared this with you, but what I discovered was that I was a relationship addict. Seriously. I discovered that I was hooked on love. I was hooked on relationships. I was an addict, and I mean that literally. Like I needed women like an alcoholic needs drinks. Right? I I was an addict. Okay? Now, since then, since coming to that realization, um, and I'm going to tell you more about that in just a bit, but since seeing that in myself, I've, I've looked around and I'm not alone. In fact, I believe, I've never done any big research on this, but I can stand here and tell you that I believe 100% that love addiction or relationship addiction is the most common addiction on the planet today. Almost everyone has got it, including you. That's my assumption here. That's what I'm claiming. I hope you don't turn the podcast off. Stick with me if you feel like I just went too far. (laughs) Okay? But I saw myself through my work with my coach and I started to break it down and then I started to look around and I'm like this relationship addiction, this you complete me mindset, it's everywhere in our society. It's in all of our love songs. It's in our movies. It's in our magazines. It's, it's spoken about in our churches. You know, it's like we don't necessarily know it, but our entire culture promotes and preaches relationship addiction. It preaches the you complete me mindset. So every message you've received from the Disney fairy tales to watching The Bachelor to um a song like at last by etta james okay everything is pointing toward a relationship addiction of the you complete me mindset it is 
so common. We all have it, and that's why we don't recognize it. Because you know, we all when when everybody is doing something, everybody sort of thinks the same way. When everybody sort of sees relationships in the same way, then no one really sees that it's a problem because it's well, we're all doing the same thing, so no one notices it. That's really true of any addiction, right? I, I don't know if it's true. I think most people drink alcohol periodically. But you only notice it's an addiction when someone's doing something outrageous, right? It's gone way over the top. Like, they, you know, they drink a case of beer a day. Every night she has two bottles of wine. Oh, this person or that person has, has you know, liquor stored all over the house, buried in the backyard and stuffed in a corner in the garage, right? Um, no, this person, you know, first thing in the morning, you might have coffee, they have a martini or, or a shot of tequila, okay? When you hear of stuff like that, you're like, oh, well, they're a, they've got an addiction. They've got a problem. And the reason that you know that is because they're doing something so far out of the norm that it's recognizable, right? But somebody that's out watching a ball game, having a burger and a beer, you'd be like, no, no, that's just normal. That's just what people do, right? This relationship addiction is like that. It, there aren't, I mean, I could give you a couple of crazy extremes, you know, like when Lorena Bobbitt cut off her boyfriend's dick with a knife, <laughs> you know, because I think he cheated on her or something. All right. So, you know, that, that might be an extreme. I think there was some case where a woman was trying to get her boyfriend back because he was hooking up with somebody else and she lived in Houston and he was in Florida and she was in such a rush to get there and to 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 stop him from leaving her that she wore a diaper so she never had to stop even to pee okay okay so that maybe there are some extremes of this love addiction thing but basically we don't even know that we've got it because we all have it and you just don't notice it. So I'm actually going to try to convince you today that you're a relationship addict. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, but I, if you can stay open to what I'm saying, um, because I'm going to clarify the things that I mean um, by that in just a minute. But I am maintaining that this is the most common addiction of the, in the world, and it creates just as much drama as any other addiction does. If there is a telltale sign that a person is an addict, one of the ways you know is because, is because of their behavior and what they're doing, they are creating drama. Right? If you're an alcoholic, man, you're creating drama. You're losing your job. You're not there for your kids. Your health is probably going to suffer. You might get DUIs. You might be even worse and smash into someone, right? When you're in an addiction, a shopping addiction, a gambling addiction, right? It's creating drama in your finances and and so forth. So one of the ways that you know that you might be an addict is if you've got drama in your love life. And who doesn't have that? Okay, maybe you haven't cut off someone's dick. Okay, fine, good. I'm glad you haven't done that. <laughs> okay, but have you been divorced like me? 
Have you been dumped or have you dumped someone? Have you had your share of online drama and difficulty? Have you had your share of relationship pain and so forth? Okay, so if you say yes to that, I'm going to say, well, the underlying reason, although you might not see it yet, is that in actuality, you're having that drama because that's what addicts create. That's what happens. Now, (laughs) to help establish this whole conversation, and then I'm going to get to the quote because I haven't given it to you yet. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to come out the, the other side. Okay. What I want to do is I want to read a section from my first book to you, right? My first book is called A Drink With Legs, One Man's Journey from the Darkness of Drama to the Dawning of Intimacy. That's the name of my first book. And that that phrase, a drink with legs, was was something that my coach said to me. Because when my ex-fiance broke up with me, I was such a mess she was like, Roy, it's, it's, it's like you're going through withdrawal symptoms, the, the way you're feeling, the way you're acting and what's going on. It's, it's like you, you're an alcoholic and you've been, you've been, you're not drinking and your body is going through all these convulsions and all, this, all, these, all these withdrawal symptoms. And, 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 and she was like, your, your ex-fiance, like she was a drink with legs. <laughs> Like, in other words, you were addicted to her. And all this pain you're going through as, as, as a result of this breakup just tells me you're in withdrawal symptoms. So my ex-coach was the one that, that came up with that phrase, a drink with legs. Just like an alcoholic needs a drink, I need a drink. Only mine, you know, mine's got two legs. <laughs> okay. So I want to quote from the book where I write about this addiction thing. I think that's the best way to describe that and perhaps to kind of get you on board with what I'm talking about. Okay? So this is what I write. Quote, The incredible relationship I now have with my wife would not be possible if it were not for what I learned from my addiction. My marriage, my growth as a man, the purpose of my life as a writer and a relationship coach, all of it would not have occurred apart from recognizing myself as a relationship addict. With all of its pain and misery, my addiction has been my salvation. It can be yours as well. But I know that no one wants to think of themselves as an addict. It conjures up images of living underneath a bridge, wearing tattered clothes, smelling like garbage, and clinging to a bottle like a two-year-old clings to a toy. We don't want to think of ourselves like that, but I'm not referring to that. I'm talking about something so common, so widespread, and so absolutely a part of our culture's consciousness that we don't even know we're suffering from it. Yet, in my opinion, it's ruining more lives than alcoholism ever will. We are a culture completely obsessed with hooked on, and addicted to love and relationships. It's the primary reason why love is so difficult and the divorce rate is so high, except few see it, especially in themselves. So when I use the word hooked or addicted to refer to myself, 
or you or anyone else. I don't mean that we're pathetic people who are psychologically damaged and imbalanced, unable to function and lead productive lives. Quite the contrary. I'm speaking about normal, mature, responsible, intelligent men and women, single or married, with thriving careers and lots of friends. I'm talking about high-functioning people who simply believe in the you-complete-me mindset. Now, of course, I could choose softer words like dependent or compulsive or needy, attached, clingy, or obsessed. For they are all symptoms for what I'm talking about. But as inflammatory and polarizing as words like hooked and addiction are, I'm going to stick with them because the moment I stopped sugarcoating my issue and owned up to what was really true about me, that was the minute my true healing began. I dropped the idea that I merely had issues concerning women in relationships. That was nonsense. I was an addict, plain and simple. And my life began turning around the moment I dropped the euphemisms and told the unvarnished truth. I continue by saying this, quote, relationship addiction is any reliance on another person to give you a sense of yourself, to alleviate a fear like loneliness, create a feeling of aliveness, or to validate your worth. That is the definition of relationship addiction. Let me say it again. Relationship addiction is any reliance on another person to give you a sense of yourself, alleviate a fear, create a feeling of aliveness, or to validate your worth. Put another way, if you are lonely and you think a relationship would fix that, or if you believe that a partner's love will make you feel better about yourself, or if you think you would be happier if you were in a committed relationship, those are signs of being hooked and addicted to love, as I define it here. The essence of relationship addiction is the reliance on a person or the seeking of a partner to give you that which you cannot, will not, or don't know how to give yourself. Drama is the guaranteed outcome of such external reliance because when you feel that your partner's affection and attention is inadequate, withdrawal sets in and drama begins. Anytime we are unaware of or disconnected from our deepest self, the ground of being, we invariably seek external things to give us that which we seem to lack internally. This external seeking is the root cause of all addiction. In other words, to look within is to find you are everything you need. To look outside of yourself in order to fill a perceived need is to create addiction and dependence. And that always leads to drama and suffering. Relationship addiction is your ego's attempt to find itself in another person or through a relationship. Unquote. So there you go. I wanted to read that to you because I wanted you to hear that part where 
being an addict doesn't mean you're some pathetic person. You're, you're just normal. This, we all do this. We, I mean, that definition, I mean, if, come on now, look at how you feel about your partners or your potential partners. Do you or do you not rely on another person to give you a sense of yourself, to alleviate a fear, of, like the fear of loneliness, the fear of not being good enough? Do you or do you not think a relationship would give you a feeling of aliveness? Oh, I'm wanted. They love me. I love them. The chemistry, the compatibility. Do you or do you not really feel like it's a great relationship is the pathway to feeling alive and to feeling the juice. Or do you or do you not really feel like a relationship sort of will validate my worth? I mean, somebody wants to spend the rest of their life with me. I must really matter now. I must be valuable in some way. Okay? So the next thing I do in the book by the way, is I have a 20-question true-false test that the reader can take to determine if they are, in fact, a relationship addict like I was. And I'm not going to read all 20 of them to you, but I, I picked five. I'm going to read, read you five true-false questions. And you can just answer honestly. And I'll just tell you right now, any, any answer of true means you're, you're an addict. Okay, <laughs> it's just the way it is. If you answer true to any of these, it means you're like everybody else. You're you're sort of operating by the you complete me mindset. Okay, so here's number one. I am on two or more dating websites, and I check my email for matches and responses frequently. Come on now, true or false? Number two. I have continued to date people after it was clear to me that they were not right for me. Number three, I seem to be a magnet for people that are emotionally unavailable or commitment phobic. (laughs) Number four, I have experienced panic attacks or sleepless nights and or obsessive thoughts when a relationship has ended or was in serious trouble. Hmm. That's so normal. Right? And the last one. My partners or partner have said that no matter how much attention and affection they show me, it's never enough. My ex fiance actually told me that. I mean, she actually said that to me. We'd have sex once or twice a day, but she'd work 14 hours a day and it it just still wasn't enough. I needed a drink. She was obsessive about her work. She was, she was, she was addicted to her work and I was addicted to her (laughs) and I drove her away because it was just never enough. I'm good for her. So are you open to the possibility that you might have the you complete me mindset, that you might be a relationship addict. Because here's the quote for today. Here's the quote that's pithy. Life partners make lousy life sources. That's our quote for today. 
Life partners make lousy life sources, but addicts don't believe that. And I'm not talking about what you believe in your head. I'm talking about the way you live. Because if you would have asked me, you know, way back in the day, is my partner responsible for my happiness? Is my partner supposed to fix my feelings of uh, my, my insecurity in terms of my masculinity and my desirability and stuff like that, I would have said, no, 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 no. Uh, you know, nobody can make a person happy. That's your, that's, your, that's your business, right? But I wasn't living like that. The truth is I did believe my life partner was supposed to be my life source. That's how I was living. And that's why I had so much drama. I had expectations of my partners. I had expectations of an intimate relationship about what I thought it was supposed to do. I really I really did have some beliefs about what what love was supposed to do. I had what I call faith in love. I thought about using that as my quote. But I really I had faith in love. I really believed if I found love, if I found the right woman, Man, she would heal that feeling of being undesirable because she wanted me. She wanted to have sex with me. I really believe she'd fill that void or she'd fix that problem or she'd, you know, help me find, you know, finish the story that I had about myself of women don't really find me attractive. Or she'd help me find an identity. Man, if a beautiful woman wanted to be with me, now I'm somebody. I had those thoughts. I had all of those. And I actually believed that the purpose of a relationship was to find a partner who would fix that. Just by her love, by her very presence, by her wanting me. I believed life partners were supposed to be life sources. And so do you. And I can t- I know I I can, t- I, can, I can say that with absolute certainty because that is what causes drama. If you've never experienced relationship drama, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast. But you have experienced relationship drama. The drama that you've experienced is evidence that you believe your life partners are supposed to be your life sources. Because you get mad when they don't meet your emotional needs. You get discouraged. You get disappointed. You get upset. So you, you, you might have some sort of abandonment wound. That's very common. Some sort of abandonment wound. When your partner doesn't respond or someone you're dating doesn't send you a text message you know, when they said they would, or you go a, a, a number of hours, you know, hear from someone, or maybe even a couple of days, why do you get upset? Because my partner is supposed to heal my abandonment wound and respond to me and text me. If you, if you didn't expect your partner to do that, you wouldn't be upset when they don't text you. You, you would just be, no, they haven't texted me. So what? I, you know, I'm sure they're doing whatever they're doing. Do you follow me? Drama comes from unmet expectations. When people don't fulfill the role that you believe that they should play in your life, you're supposed to fill that void in me. And when you're not available, there's going to be, there's going to be trouble. 
because that's your job, right? In the book, I actually really describe that most relationships that we actually have a job description for our partners. That's what your list is. You know, your, your manifestation list, your list of qualities, that's a job description. You're saying, I need a partner to be this way, to be this kind of person, to show up this way. Why? Because if they are that kind of person, they are going to heal my emotional wounds or they are going to meet my emotional needs. So my, my wounding was feeling undesirable, right? And so I, I had a list way back in the day. What do you think was on the top of the list? I want a sexual woman. Isn't that funny? Doesn't it match? Right? So most of us really believe that life partners are supposed to be life sources. We, we really do. And that leads to all kinds of tra- uh, trouble because your partner is not a life source or your potential partner. They're just human. It's just a guy. It's just a girl. It's not a god. Your partner not only isn't put on the earth to heal your emotional wounds or to meet your emotional needs, they're not capable of it. And to be honest with you, they don't even want it. They don't even want the job. I mean, you don't want the job, do you? Would Would you have wanted to be my ex fiance? And you've got to have sex with me once at least once, if not twice a day to keep me from freaking out? Would, really? No, I'm, I'm talking year after year after year. Would, would you have liked to sign up for that job? As handsome as I am? <laughs> of course you would not. You don't, your, your life is not about meeting my emotional needs, right? I mean, you don't, you don't want to sign up for that. So not only... Our life partners, they make lousy life sources because people aren't designed to do that and they don't want to do that. But yet, that's that's how we see the purpose of a relationship. Now, let me put this in a framework that I've mentioned before on another podcast. I don't know which one. Um, but just to, just to put this in perspective for you, to help you see your addiction, Because remember, the first thing I read to you from the book is that owning my addiction, seeing that, recognizing that, that insight is what led to all the change. Because when you see you're addicted and you've hit rock bottom and you're like, oh my God, I got a problem, then everything changes from, oh, I just need to find another partner. You see, when you believe that life partners are supposed to be life sources and you're with someone and your needs are not being met, what you're going to do is you're going to think, well, since the purpose of a relationship and the purpose of having a partner is to meet my emotional needs, then I just got the wrong partner. I just got to get rid of that partner and find me a new partner, right? That's what you would do when you're in the mindset that a partner is supposed to meet my needs. Well, if they're not meeting my needs, I've got to find someone who is. 
See, see, so you would jump from partner to partner to partner. But I want to put this in a framework that I've, I've, I've spoken before uh, to, to help you see this because, like I said, seeing what you're doing, seeing that you've got a problem takes you out of that, I just got to find a better partner thing. And it puts your attention on, I need to sober up. I need to deal with that void that I feel. I need to fix that problem that I think I have. I need to finish that story inside of me. I need to find my own identity. I don't need, I can't, I'm not putting that on someone else. That's my work to do, right? That's mine to do. And, and you won't, you won't do that until you look in the mirror and say, hello, my name is Roy and I'm a relationship addict. And I have seen my life partners as my life sources. And all my partners have had a job. And that job is either you're supposed to heal my emotional wounds and live a certain way and do certain things that would never trigger my my emotional wounds. And you're supposed to love me and treat me and show up with me and be with me in a way that will meet all of my emotional needs. That is your job. And that's why you have drama because you're asking a person to do something that they can't do and frankly, they won't want to do much more beyond the romance phase of a relationship, right? In the romance phase, people do this. It's like, oh my God. Oh, I just like, I've met this person and it's like, I've known them forever. And it's like, you feel like everything is healed within you. It's like all of your needs are being met the way they love you, the way they see you, the way they treat you. It's like, huh? well, the romance phase ends and they become a normal person because the romance phase is everybody's faking it. I mean, come on, let's face it. Everybody's putting on their best behavior. Everyone smells their best and looks their best and presents themselves their best. And they don't, they don't want to reveal opinions about this and that because they don't want to scare you away. They don't want to show you their temper. They don't want to show you their insecurity. They don't want to show you any emotional wounding or any, any real needs because that might frighten you off. I just, I, I want a partner. I want to connect. And so you fake it in the romance phase. I know that sounds cynical, but it's the truth. You get in the road and and then the honeymoon ends. What's that phrase mean? The honeymoon ends (laughs) because because you start being your normal self and you start seeing, oh my God, who is this person that I'm with now? And they're not meeting my needs the way they used to in the first couple of weeks. Okay. So here is the human condition I want to share with you about. And you might've heard that sound outside the window. Somebody has decided to uh, back in a moving truck right when I'm doing the podcast. How dare they not know that I'm up here in my office recording? (laughs) There's my narcissism streak. Um, Anyway, here's the human condition. Okay, Five points of the human condition. The first one is you exist. Like you're in there. If I was to say, hello, are you in there? You'd go, yep, I'm here. Right. So the first point is you exist. The second point is you're not okay in there. Isn't it true that something's usually bothering you or stressing you out or you're a little worried or that you, you have thoughts of being not good enough or unworthy or unattractive or unwanted. So you exist in there and you're not okay in there. Have you noticed 
that. Now, I'm not saying you're suicidal. I'm not saying you're clinically depressed and you haven't got out of bed in months. Okay, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that if you pay attention to the insides of you, don't you notice some insecurity? Don't you notice a little abandonment thing? Don't you notice the fear of rejection? Don't you notice loneliness? Don't you notice some angst? Don't you experience anxiety? Right? It's not okay in there. Now, one of the reasons we are not alarmed by that or even notice it is because it's so normal, you don't even notice it. You only notice it when your not okayness reaches like a higher than normal level. Then you're like, oh my God, I'm, I'm really not okay. Most of us don't recognize that just on a normal every day, we have a kind of an inner restlessness, uh, uh, an inner inner kind of a upset or a, a something, you know, something's always bothering us, right? There's something we're, we're worried about, what's going to happen at work or something in a relationship, right? So you exist in there and you're not okay in there if you're honest with yourself. And that not okay feeling is so uncomfortable that point three is your life's purpose is about fixing that not okay feeling. It's sort of like when your hand is on a hot stove, we could rightly say that your life purpose in that moment is I'm getting my hand off of this stove. This is intolerable pain. This hurts. I got to fix it. Nothing else matters than me getting my hand off this stove. Well, that not okay feeling isn't like that hand on a stove, but that anxiety or that loneliness or that stressed outness or that inner restlessness, or that loneliness, your life purpose is to deal with that uncomfortable feeling. Your life purpose is to deal with that feeling of I'm not good enough, or I'm unwanted, or I'm unattractive. Right? Do you see it? I mean, are you resonating with these first three? You're in there, you're not okay in there, and your life purpose is about feeling okay. You, you got to fix it. Right Now, what's your favorite strategy for fixing your not okay feeling? Well, there are lots to choose from. Maybe get famous, power, money, maybe, you know, the perfect figure, a great body. Maybe you get some work done on your face so you're more attractive. You know, there's, there's lots of ways to fix your not okay feeling. But I would maintain that if you're listening to this podcast, your favorite way is I got to find me the right partner. That's going to fix my not okay feeling. Because my not okay feeling is, is feeling undesirable, or unseen, or not good enough. And I try to fix that through performance as a coach, selling lots of books, you know, winning golf tournaments back in the day. I've done all kinds of things to try to fix that not okay feeling. But one of my favorites was I needed, if I could find the right woman who wanted me, the beautiful, sexy woman that wanted to be with me, that would fix my not okay feeling. So that's point number four. Your primary strategy to fix your not okay feeling is to find your life partner. That's why you got a list. 
That's why it's not just any partner you want to be with. You, you need a specific kind of partner. You need the right partner because not just anyone is going to fix your loneliness or your abandonment wound. Like for me, I, you know, I need a, a, a special woman that wanted me. She had to have certain qualities. Do you follow me? So you exist in there. You're not okay in there. Your life's purpose is to, fix, is to fix the not okay feeling and your primary strategy for doing it is to find a relationship. That's love addiction. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Thinking a relationship is going to fix your not okay feeling is being hooked on love. It's having faith in love. I have faith that if I find this partner, it's going to fix this not okay feeling. And let me tell you, That's why people drink alcohol and smoke cigarettes and get into shopping addiction and gambling addiction and pornography addiction because they have a not okay feeling that when they're using their particular drug, it goes away temporarily, obviously. If you could have one beer and never feel anxious or stressed out again, I would say that's good. Have one beer and you never have anxiety the rest of your life. Awesome. Right? If you buy one outfit at the mall and you 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 just never feel loneliness and you never feel not pretty, great. Buy one outfit if if if, if it's going to solve the problem, but <laughs> it doesn't solve the problem. <laughs> right? Same with the partner. You, oh, if I get this partner, they're going to solve the problem. No, it doesn't. Have you realized that? So point number five is that an intimate relationship will not fix that not okay feeling because life partners make lousy life sources. There it is. There's the truth of what we're doing in relationships. We're in there. It's not okay in there. That feeling is very uncomfortable and intolerable. So our life is about fixing that not okay feeling. And one of our best strategies is to find a partner. But the partner will turn out to disappoint you in fixing that not okay feeling. Trying to find a partner to to alleviate your loneliness or to make you feel worthy or to make you feel desirable is like trying to paint a house with a hammer. I mean, think about doing that. Man, you're going to be frustrated and disappointed in trying to paint a house with a hammer. Right? The hammer's not built for that. It's not made for that. But if you want to nail something, you know, nail a, 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 a piece of wood, oh my God, the hammer is beautiful for that. So an intimate partner, if you want an intimate partner to be alongside of you, to trigger you, to grow with you, to challenge you, okay, oh, well, that's, that's the purpose of a relationship. The purpose of a relationship is to wake you up. If you want a partner to wake you up in someone that you can grow with, then, then, then you're using the hammer for the right purpose. But we don't. 
See, because if, if you just want a partner who will wake you up and grow with them, you won't ever have any drama with them because you're not expecting them to meet an emotional need. You're not expecting them to be there for you. You're not expecting them to treat you in a way that you'll never feel insecure or jealous or abandoned or rejected. You're not putting that on them. You're not asking them to do that. So you won't, you'll never have drama. That's not why you're in the relationship with them. You're in the relationship with them because, well, you enjoy their company, but you just want someone that can help create an atmosphere where the both of you can work on yourselves. Do you follow me? That, that's what you're, I mean, that, that, that really is what a relationship can be. In fact, let me, I'm going to read you something. It's another quick quote from, from Michael Singer. Um, I heard him I heard him say this one time. He said, "Here's the core agreement of a conscious relationship." Okay, so what he's saying is if you're in a relationship and it's not from this you complete me mindset. It's not a a, a codependent relationship. By the way, what is codependence? I'm depending on you, you're depending on me. We're both relationship addicts depending on the other person to meet some emotional need. That's what codependence is. But Michael's describing, okay, well, what is the core agreement? Because that, that's the core agreement of a, of a relationship addiction relationship. I will meet your emotional needs if you will meet mine, right? So in my relationship with my fiance, she was going to have sex with me all the time to meet my... Um, to meet my emotional need of feeling undesirable, right? And her need was never feeling like she was important, like she was never anyone's priority. And so I functioned as Mr. Mom in her life. I enabled her to be a workaholic and I raised her kids and I ran her household. And so so she never felt important, never felt like she was even in the top 10 of a priority. One time she actually told me, she said, I, I don't want to be the most important thing in your life. I just want to be in your top 10. Okay. So do you hear that, that, that sickness? Do you hear that? She's never felt important to a man. Well, I, I just took care of her and her kids and just prioritized the shit out of her. And the agreement was, I'll do that for you so that you feel important. If you fuck me a couple times a day so that I feel desirable. Now, we never said it out loud that way. That would have been beautiful. Hey, do you want to make this agreement? You raise my kids and run my household and and pay attention to me and make me feel important. And in exchange for that, I'll have sex with you twice a day. That's our deal. That would have been great if we were conscious of that and actually agreed that that's what we're going to do together. But this was under the surface. So we didn't we didn't even recognize it at first. Right. But but that's what was actually happening. I mean, that was the core agreement of our relationship. Well, Michael Singer is okay, if you're not doing something like that, and I maintain that all of us are doing something like that, I'm maintaining that when I say you're a relationship addict and I am, and that you have the you complete me mindset, and so do I, I'm saying that you are in codependent relationships and you have been your whole life. Because they're all the same thing. 
Codependency, relationship addiction, the you complete me mindset are just different words for the same thing. I, I'm expecting my life partner to be my life source. So Michael Singer says, okay, if you're not going to do that, well, then what's the reason for a relationship? Why, why even be together? What, what would be the core agreement of a conscious relationship, a healthy one? This is what he said. Let's create an environment where we are together to work on ourselves rather than working on each other. (laughs) A conscious relationship says, let's create an environment where we're together to work on ourselves rather than working on each other. Well, what do you do when you're, when you got the, my life partner is supposed to be my life source? Well, I got to work on you. I got to make sure that you're the kind of partner I need you to be. I've got to criticize you. I've got to control you. I've got to correct you. I've got to mold you into the partner I need you to be. Right? I, I need you to be a certain kind of woman. I need you to be a certain kind of man that will, by, by being that way, you will then meet my emotional needs or you will, you know, heal my emotional wounds. But see, in a conscious relationship, there is no need or effort to work on each other. You're just enjoying an environment where you can work on yourselves with each other. Do you see the difference there? Another quote from Neil Donald Walsh. The purpose of a relationship is not to have another who might complete you but to have another with whom you might share your completeness. See it? But that's, that's not what we do. We see our life partners as our life sources. Do you see that that's what you're up to? I'm just asking honestly. Now, if you see that, you might be saying, okay, Roy, what do I do? What do I do if I see that? Well, I believe the spiritual journey begins when you see that you're not okay in there and that you've been expecting a relationship to fix that and then you realize it doesn't work. No partner is going to be able to do that. Not consistently, not reliably. That doesn't work. And so the first step is that you no longer are going to require your partner's to be your life sources. In other words, if they had a job description for you, you are going to fire them. It is not your job to heal my abandonment wound. It is not your job to relate to me or love me to d- and to, you know, to a, to help me fix my insecurity or my undesirability or my loneliness or my feelings of not being good enough. It's just not your job, you're fired. <laughs> I'm firing you. That's my job. Okay? So the first step is you you no longer look to your life partner to be your life source. But here's the problem. If you have that not okay feeling, and you do, once you say, okay, I'm not going to seek a partner to fix it, and you, you sort of stop playing that game, the not okay feeling is still there, is it not? Right? I mean, your hand is still on the stove, right? You, you still have that not okay feeling. Something has to deal with that. 
Well, that's what the spiritual life is. How do I deal with my feeling of being undesirable or yours of being abandoned or rejected or lonely or whatever it is? That's what the spiritual journey is. It's not somebody else's responsibility. It's my responsibility to deal with that. I'm not putting that on my partners anymore. I'm not expecting that from them anymore. And therefore, there won't be any drama because they can't let you down. Do you see? (laughs) So how do you, for lack of a better word, fix this not okay feeling? Well, let me give you two suggestions because it's not a snapping of the fingers. This is a, it's a spiritual journey. It's a lifelong journey of waking up, of doing your inner work. And that's what I do with my clients. But because my book is about relationship addiction, at the end of the book, the, 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 there's four sections. Chapter The section four of the book, I lay out a 12-step program for relationship addicts. Right. Since I was writing about addiction and AA has their 12 step programs, NA has their 12 step program. I'm like, you know what? I wonder if I did 12 steps as I sobered up from my you complete me mindset, my relationship addiction. I wonder if I went through 12 steps. And so I started thinking through the things that I did in my life and with my coach, you know, and sure enough, I went through 12 steps. And I write about them in the book. Okay? So here's what I want to do for you. I'm not going to say go to Amazon and buy it. Okay? I'm not. I'm going to give it to you for free. I want to get this information into your hands. Now, the book only costs 15 bucks on, on Amazon. It's, it's not audio. It's only paperback and ebook. But I don't even, I, I make 10, bu- 10 bucks off of a book that gets sold. You know, big deal. Whatever. Okay? Um, If you send me an email, I will send you the book where I chronicle how I worked through my relationship addiction and came out the other side and was able to create a healthy, sustainable relationship. That's the best thing I can say rather than making this podcast two or three hours long is I wrote a whole book on how to do it, okay? Because I did it and then when I was on the other side, when I had sobered up and got out of my relationship addiction, I went back and wrote, well, here's what I did. Here are the, even though I didn't know I was doing these steps when I did them, when I looked back, sure enough, they were there. So just send me an email, Roy at coachingwithroy.com, and I will send you my first book, A Drink With Legs. No questions asked. Well, there is a question. In fact, I want to see, I want to make an agreement with you. Um, because I really like reciprocal relationships. I, I don't like relationships where one person overfunctions and the other person underfunctions. And so I'm going to give you a book that took me about a year to write, okay? Um, and I'm giving it to you free of charge. But in return, I'm asking that you not request it unless you're going to read it cover to cover. Will you give me your word that you will read the book? I don't care if it takes you a year. But I want you to give me your word that you're going to actually read it. If I'm going to go through the trouble of sending it and putting putting that energy out there toward you, I want you to reciprocate and say, I will match your energy, Roy, and I will read the book. And then one more thing I'm going to ask you. Would you send me an email when you're done 
giving me your thoughts. And I don't care if your thoughts are, I hated the book. It made no sense to me. It's a bunch of mumbo jumbo. That's okay. I get to work on my own issues with rejection. So I don't, I don't, I don't need you to stroke me with this, but I sort of, I want to know how you feel about the book. I want to know what it did for you. I want to know what question you might have or what it meant to you. Okay. It could be one sentence. Hey, Roy read the book, loved it. It's really challenged me to do X, Y, or Z. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Okay. It doesn't have to be any longer than that. So if you want the book, I'll send it to you. If you give me your word that you'll read it and that you'll send me an email when you're finished with it. I think that's a fair kind of equitable give and take um, between us. Okay. So that right there is the pithy wisdom for life and love for part seven of this podcast on quantum quotes. And I think the idea that life partners make lousy life sources is an insight that is on a par with the other six pithy quotes that we have experienced in this series. Right? So I hope it's touched you. And I hope you reach out that if you want to take any of these quotes to another level, if you want to talk about how do I integrate that into my life, how do I apply it to my specific situation, um, what do I do with this wisdom, you know, in, in my in, in my neck of the world, in my neck of the woods, right? That's what I'm here for. So again, contact me by email, Roy at coachingwithroy.com. Call my cell phone, 407-687-3387. And so until next week, have a great one. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Attracting Lasting Love with Roy Biancalana. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review and share it with anyone you think might benefit from listening. Check out our website at coachingwithroy.com and tune in every week for more insights and wisdom on creating healthy, lasting, conscious relationships.